previously on Noclip. Like my favorite like recurring game series at the moment is Fire Emblem, which is a game in which if you make one tiny stupid mistake, your last hour of work is gone. Right. That's a game that I could not play. <laughs> Welcome to Noclip, I'm Chad Rowan. I'm JJRT Mess. And I'm Andy Kenny. And today we're going to be talking about Fire Emblem, which was a game that was released in 2003. It was developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. Um, on the Game Boy Advance. Correct. Which was an interesting... I haven't played a Game Boy Advance game in, like, years and years. I know. So that was an interesting, like, throwback for me. It was a great excuse for me to use the Game Boy Micro. Yeah. <laughs> Just the best gift I've gotten. Does probably anyone, since the t-shirt you got me. Does anyone other than you own a Game Boy Micro? I don't know. It's expensive enough to suggest that they are owned somewhere, but maybe not owned in the way that you own game consoles and, like, use them and love them. It's more like owned in, like, a vault sense. Like a collector's mm-hmm. thing. You yeah. would just, like, prop up a Game Boy Micro. But not, like, in a glass case collector's sense. Like, just just piles and vaults. Like a another, like, OCD collector's sense. It's a, it's a great little tiny thing. <laughs> the Game Boy Micro. <laughs> It is in your pocket right now, in fact. Wrong. It's oh, so it's right there, actually. Either way. <laughs> it moved on its own. Do you want to uh, give like a breakdown as to what Fire Emblem is? And uh, what it means to you, JJ? Okay. Lover of Fire Emblem. <laughs> this, is, this is something that could actually be my real tagline. JJ, <laughs> hey, lover, lover of Fire, of Fire Emblem. Emblem. Yeah. Uh, and this is... It took me a long time to eventually... I was fighting back and forth whether or not I wanted to suggest this as a cast game. The reason being, uh, I believe it is categorically impossible for me to have, like, an unbiased perspective of this game. Sure. Because I think this game influenced my development as a person more than any other piece of media. Uh, In terms of my personal tastes, not, like, socializing or anything of the sort. Uh, Which is good. (laughs) We're not going to get into why. So, like, the game just defines most of the things that I find enjoyable, and I think me just spending a lot of time, you know, stroking it about the game, it'd not be productive, which is why I didn't suggest it to you guys forever. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to do it for the cast specifically so I could hear you guys talk about what you think it is under the complete, you know, expectation that... I, I really didn't know whether you'd like it or not in each individual case, and I was curious about it. And that's why I wanted you guys to talk about it, because I essentially wanted to keep me like in the background, just this strange, malevolent mist, <laughs> until you guys talked about your experiences first. Alright, fair enough. Um, was this the first Fire Emblem game that you played? Yes. Okay, which is good. Uh, for both, in the sense that in 2003... Uh, you were not, like, actively importing games from Japan. <laughs> uh, this being the first game in the series to come out in North America. Uh, and also, like, I feel like, from what I understand about the series, which isn't uh, a whole bunch, this this version of the game seems, like, really representative of the series as a whole. Oh, yes. Like, it is, it, like, it came to North America at, like, just the right time where it is developed enough that they ironed out probably a number of hitches that were in the first six games, mm-hmm. and 
had not gotten to the point where like awakening and fates are now. Yeah, where it had just ballooned in feature set in yeah. so many ways. Which happens to so many game series where it's like the like the middle entries are in the in a long series typically are the best because like the later ones have too many features and the first ones are full of garbage. Well in Awakening's case I would think their excuse is acceptable only because they were under the expectation that it was literally going to be the last one. Right. So and as far as I know, uh, you're kind of under the impression that it maybe should have been. So far, <laughs> I don't want this also to become the me bitching about fates and the direction <laughs> that fate seems to be taking the games cast. That may come later uh, once I have more like time and perspective, and I've actually beaten all three versions of fates to right. have not out of depression and sadness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then you're gonna have to play the Shin Megami Tensei Fire Emblem never. Sharp. 2.8 final. I play. will never hold a controller <laughs> that is affecting inputs on that game. <laughs> Alright. So, discussing Fire Emblem, the game that we're actually talking about now. Yeah. Uh, it is a fa- I. I just started taking to calling this a tactics game. Yeah. Is that, like, a fair... Because, like, obviously I'm ripping it straight from Final Fantasy Tactics. Right. Which doesn't really play like this game, but... I wouldn't know. I have, I don't have almost no experience with tactics. I've just seen them before, and really the thing that makes me say that is the fact that tactics is an isometric game. Mm-hmm. And it's more like a... It looks like a game board, whereas this is designed to actually look like a place. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you could make an argument that Final Fantasy locales don't usually look like actual places <laughs> anyway, so... Fair. <laughs> but yeah, calling this game a tactics game uh, is uh, broadly okay. I think that there is sort of a distinction between the way the game is marketed and, and presents itself mechanically to people uh, and their actual goals and design that is super important, but as with many of the things I'll talk about, I'm willing to get to that later while mm. you guys talk about the tactics that you experienced. Good. So, Andy. Yes. Have you played a tactics game or like, because this, I guess it's a turn-based strategy game yeah. more broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever played like a turn-based strategy game before? Um, not really. Uh, JJ let me this game in high school and I, I guess either my tastes were so different then or I was dumb <laughs> or something because like I... <laughs> I could not play this game. I got, like, I don't even know how many chapters in. was like, I give up. Here, JJ, this is a pile of crap. You got at least a third <laughs> of the way through because you knew that Ellie Wood was the main yes, character so and I not got, Lynn. Yes, I got... So I got that far in and was like, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, and then later, in just a couple years ago, JJ let me Awakening, and I played through it and liked it. And... Then I tried to play the Banner Saga a while ago and thought it was really boring. <laughs> and then I played this. Actually, I and, don't know. And I enjoyed it. Yes. I don't know how similar the Banner Saga is in terms of, uh, like, gameplay. Because the only cause because of the way that game was marketed, the only thing I've ever seen is just, like, two drawings of people having conversations. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like a tactics-ish game like this mm. mixed with Oregon Trail. Okay. That's fair, yeah. The tactics elements are a little bit more compressed in favor of some of the more Oregon Trail-y stuff. It's a, they just don't happen at the same time. It has combat maps uh, similar enough to Fire Emblem that we don't need to quibble over the tiny stuff, but a lot of the other stuff that you're doing in the game involves, like, the horrors of travel. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you have like a big caravan of people going past like beautiful scenery. Like thousands of people. But you have like caravan expected problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like people will break out from the group and it'll be like, Do you wanna go and spend the resources to find them? And then you'll be like <laughs> Nah. Yeah. <laughs> the wheel <laughs> fell off of my cart. I don't know yeah. this. Yeah, the uh, stuff like that happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I guess in terms of, like, if we broaden it to turn-based strategy games, yeah. I've played games like Civilization, yeah. uh, which is not this game in any way. Yeah. Yeah. See, so, I've never really cared for these kinds of games right. before. Yeah, and I generally fall into that camp as well. Strategy games are not my forte. Mm-hmm. I don't... Uh, just I don't know. I, yeah. They generally don't interest me in like an interactive form like yeah. this. Uh, I'm the same way. Like I hate RTSs. Mm. <laughs> like just they're one of the genres that I just don't understand why people have fun playing them <laughs> or how. I mean, but no. the only the only thing in terms of like a tactics thing that's like a, you control individual units and go up against similarly set up uh, opposing forces. Uh, that I the only experience that I have is through Hero Clicks, which is a tabletop game mm-hmm. similar to like Warhammer. Uh, so, mo- a lot of the comparisons that I'm going to be making mechanically are going to be to things like that in a tabletop setting, okay. which I view as being very different than the video game setting. So this is my first experience with it, and you'll be surprised to know that I did not completely hate it like I expected <laughs> to. I hated it. <laughs> but I didn't completely hate it, and the mechanic set was not really the fault. Like that wasn't the thing that bothered me. Really? But because of the because of my lack of experience, I like sat down and kind of asked myself, like, is this a good tactics game? Probably. <laughs> I literally couldn't tell you. It seems like it has the hallmarks of a thing that would become a or like the it has the things that make a tactic tactics game good. But I wasn't like experienced enough to understand fully what was going on at any given time Mm -hmm. not like i was in a complete maelstrom of (laughs) misunderstanding but like i just didn't i didn't know like what was going on behind the scenes that i had no way of gaming what was happening yeah you didn't hit r1 a million times on every single thing right i hit r1 once (laughs) on each enemy unit usually it's because i couldn't tell from the sprite what weapon they were holding (laughs) uh but that, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's a fine tactics game, but there are a lot of other things that make me feel like there may be a different setting, a different world that I would enjoy this type of game in a lot more. Uh, would that be potentially a world with guns and tanks and planes? As, well, you're talking about Advanced War. Uh, <laughs> I am. No, Advanced War is also. I mean, because it, it would take so much to actually get me to be interested in a tactics game that I feel like I would need I would need something that was like tailor made for me. You would need bloodborne tactics. I would need bloodborne tactics. <laughs> Horror tactics? Horror yes. tactics. I don't even That'd be weird. <laughs> That'd be extremely weird. Yeah, it's hard I, to translate cool. mechanically. <laughs> the thing that I was thinking of is uh uh XCOM. Oh actually okay. plays I mean I don't know because I haven't played it. I've played but, the first XCOM. Okay. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's exactly similar, but it is in a sci-fi setting, which is cool. But I'm also just not a big fan of, like, the permadeath, I guess. Uh, but we'll get into that as we go into mechanics. So right. is there something you wanted to, like, start with? Uh, I guess I could go into the sort of distinctions now. I think it's really important to 
understand like why they chose the specific mechanic set that they did for all of the Fire Emblem games leading up was to understand their specific goal. Uh, because the Advanced Wars series, like we were mentioning before, is actually... Advanced Wars isn't the first game in that series. Mm-hmm. It's part of the Wars series, which includes games like Nintendo Wars, which are also NES games in the same way that the pre-US Fire Emblem games were. This is not like Primitive Wars, where <laughs> no. people fight with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, they, they kept a lot of the mechanic sets, but Advanced Wars actually came first. The first games that they made were like combat, fighting, military simulators in like 88, I want to say. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it predates Fire Emblem. Um, and the original Fire Emblem was actually a pet project because what they were trying to do after they had had all this grid stuff and relational stats worked out is uh, they wanted to see if they could use that as, quote, uh, an RPG simulator. And what what's meant by that is not RPG as we understand it in the post-Final Fantasy world today, because they, I don't know the exact year in comparison where the first Final Fantasy came out, but it was not at the time where, like, the video game understanding of RPG was huge. They mean that in the tabletop sense. Mm -hmm. They were trying to create a game that was, like, simulating D&D with one person. See, this is a thing that, like, that makes a lot of sense to me, just generally speaking, because especially in those early days um, in the late 70s and all the way up through most of the 80s, a lot of video games did not venture to, like, create their own thing. Like, tabletop tactics games like this have existed... Well, I mean, you could literally go all the way back and say, well, chess is actually (laughs) a tabletop tactics game. But, like, Pong in the 70s is simulating table tennis, and there are tons of... Of games that literally are just like let's how do we represent this real world game digitally? Yeah, because they already had rules that people knew, so they could just pick them up and play them. Yeah. And your mind can help make the connections that the individual huge pixels won't allow you to come up with naturally when you're playing things like Pong. Right. Like the rule set of Pong is way easily understood when you just compare what's going on on screen to tennis than if you just try to understand it in isolation. Yep, and it's yeah. Like that's the reason why there was a Monopoly game on the NES, and there will be a Monopoly game a hundred years from now <laughs> on whatever console exists at that point. Like they will continue to port things from the real world because making up rule sets is really hard to do. Right. But Fire Emblem does. It makes up quite a few rules. <laughs> a lot of rules going to Tons this of game. rules, yes. Uh the the one thing that struck me immediately, since I guess we're gonna talk about mechanics now. Sure. Uh, is the fact that, and this is another weird callback to us playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But your what I perceived as really bizarre diagonal does not mean adjacent rule. Yep. Like is in Fire Emblem. Yes. And I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> <laughs> because that immediately threw a wrench in my plans. Because in Heroclix, which is the ta- the tactics game that I've played the most of, yeah. diagonal adjacency is totally a thing. I know, and that is <laughs> just so, it feels so strange to be like I can make it all the way to that guy, but there I cannot attack him <laughs> because I am just one square short on either side. I know, and our official. When we started with D&D, that was what was butting heads between the two of us, was our, like, 
tens of years ingrained <laughs> familiarity with different yeah. this one specific rule with adjacency rule like yeah. it's such the, like the nerdiest argument that two people could possibly <laughs> yeah. have is to whether diagonal equals adjacent but i'm a dm so fuck you that's a good point yeah. it does feel weird like when you have it visually represented like in this game mm-hmm. that like you can't hit them from that spot yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a problem with it no. in D and D, though. You get that like you can still hit them like if you have a ranged option. Yeah, yeah. So it just counts as being one square away, and that's actually another like big issue that I had. Why and okay, why do you think they did this? And additionally, are there other games that like did other methods of this, which is? Why is it that ranged characters are so limited? Like, why is it that you can only fire one square away with a bow? Uh, so they could contain the map sizes. It's, uh, this is a problem I actually run in all the time uh, when trying to design encounters in D&D. Is in D&D, they tried to base relative ranges, I don't know how accurately, I've never Googled it, on more what you'd expect with range weapons, mm-hmm. which means if I ever want to represent things on a five-feet grid, anyone with a longbow can hit literally anywhere on any square on the map. Right. So they limited the ranges to that extent. The max you can ever get in the original Fire Emblem game is three squares away with a consistent weapon, or you never got far enough, but there are tomes that let you hit ten squares away, and the map-dependent ballistas, but those are like siege weapons. Yeah, that have, yeah, yeah. yeah the, you can't hit anywhere close to yourself when you're using them. They're special case. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the limit is so they could have more interesting design in the way that the actual levels were set up and the kind of geometry you had to interact with. If everything was that long, then it would make ranged characters way too good. Uh, but not just too good because they can control what's good or bad through guess, statistical, yeah. you know, manipulation. It's just that it wouldn't be fun if you could just always have a character sitting in isolation that didn't move or didn't have to move almost at all. Right. Everyone in Fire Emblem has to move a lot. Yeah, there are two things in this game that make it different than other tactics games that I've played. Um, in the tabletop sense, is moving is is incredibly important in like the game mm-hmm. because of well one because of permadeath because you have to always be able to re- like make a tactical retreat in the scenario where you are just taking more damage than you can sustain. Yep. But additionally, no one has to. You don't have to break away. Like you don't. Nobody has like a a hold on you if you're in, like, melee combat with them. So if somebody runs up to your archer and clocks him in the face, the <laughs> archer can just walk the fuck away. Like, he can just go. Right, right. They you didn't, can't lock someone down. They didn't preserve D&D-style attacks of opportunity. Right. Uh, you just... You weren't stuck in melee. It's mm-hmm. just... They just gave you the freedom to move, which I also think is a cool decision. Uh Another one that was motivated in a less realistic sense and more gameplay sense because not having attacks of opportunity gives you the freedom to move around all over the place. Yeah, it's it's it just it's so different to uh, like the strategy that I would be used to in, be employing in these situations because yeah. like actually having to like just the idea that an enemy is just gonna like book it. Eventually. <laughs> and those ballistas actually were the first thing that really showed me, like, how good the AI is. Because you, like, it spawns you in, and immediately it was just like, uh, it, the, like, the ballista just straight targeted my archer. Yeah. 
every, and it's just like, oh, like, it's not just like they roll a die. They realize that he is, like, the most vulnerable person on the map, and so they use the ballista to kill him off. Right. Well, yeah, also, he's the one who could take over the ballista. Right, yeah. So they kill him. Yeah, they usually, yeah, the AI will always go for, like, your healer or mm. your lord. It goes specifically for highest damage possible, which is, when you're thinking lord, you're probably thinking mostly Lin, because her defenses are shit. Yes. Uh, but the AI is definitely manipulable, something that, like, at this point, I can just sort of ingrained into the way that I go through maps now. Right. Um, mo mostly how rare it is for enemies in games that aren't reinforcements to move unprompted is really fun and easy for you to manipulate. Uh, in fact, probably the fun to manipulate is a weird... <laughs> yeah, it's strange phrasing there. But, like, the way... It makes you feel smart, is what I mean. Is It makes you feel in control when you can be like, I'm going to move this knight character exactly within the range square of this other axe guy so that when he runs up, he is now ensnared in my trap and I can keep <laughs> moving through steadily keep them like a football line. But that wouldn't work if the AI was good enough to just move simultaneously. And the few times that they do have the freedom to do that are often the most difficult encounters that you experience in the game. Right. Uh, I, I don't have anything to compare this game to, because I've never played other strategy games. So it was I was really curious about the Hero Clicks thing that you mentioned, because I know nothing about Hero Clicks beyond the basics that you've told me. Uh, and but I do know that both this game and HeroClick share the super distant D and D ancestor. Right. So I mean, a lot of things share that ancestor. The the reason that I make the comparison, other than the fact that it is literally like my one, t it's it's honestly kind of a strange thing to make a comparison to because like it's not something that's going to have a lot of resonance with people. Mm -hmm. It has historically not been a particularly popular game, mm -hmm. and the only reason I play it is because I know other people who play it. And so, uh, and, and that comes, like, it's a game that, like, I no longer really find that much fun, and I play it a lot for the social element of it, yeah. which actually I discovered today, not knowing about it before, that there is a multiplayer mode, and it sounds to me like a lot more of what I would have liked from this game. Really? The Be multiplayer mode in 7 is what you're referring to? Yeah, the, from what I saw, where you could just, like, have it's you and another player with five units each, and you just, like, go at each other. Yeah. Like, that is so much more what I was expecting, I guess, from the game from the beginning. I don't... You have such, like... The enemy always has a numbers advantage. Yes. And you always have, like, a statistical advantage. And the game rewards you basically for playing flawlessly. Like, knowing exactly who's going to beat everyone and not, like, making a mistake. And if you make a mistake, they want you to start the level over. Uh, and the idea of, like, just one-on-one -on -one and there's no stakes if somebody dies and everyone is completely equally matched is more, like, appealing to me. I don't know how much you know about the multiplayer modes in the earlier Fire Emblem games. Oh, literally nothing. Oh. <laughs> this, is the, this is the you description just, I read. Oh, you just it. knew that there was one? Yeah. It's very not good. There's no map. It's just it's literally just lines of people, and everyone just chooses who they hit. It was, I have no idea why it exists. That's really strange. Yeah. When I was very young, I used to just play around in it just to see, like, who would win in this circumstances if these two people fought. It sounds like a tutorial. Yeah, because... But it's never used as a tutorial, because you need, like, a... You have to load people from your save file, 
in order mm -hmm. for them to like compete in the arena modes. Right. I just used it as like I'll put this save file against this save file and see how these people, you know, in the same way that like an eight-year-old kid picks up two Transformers toys and bangs them against each other <laughs> when they create stories in their mind. That's what I did when I was eight. But instead of Transformers, I had fictional sword fighters. Right. And that's what I did. Thank God for the internet age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for obvious reasons, I've never actually played a Fire Emblem multiplayer mode because I've never met another living person with a cart of the original Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem game. So if... Is there a like, multiplayer mode that exists that is what I'm describing? Yes, and they included it in Fates for the okay. first time. So it is just... Yeah. okay. And because they made some mechanical changes to make the core gameplay of Fire Emblem more amenable to that sort of optimization that was required to make multiplayer interesting. Because if you just took this mechanic set and put it in the like multiplayer maps that you're trying to think of and describe. Yeah, it's like a single player map. But optimal play would be really terrible because the game incentivizes, or it's probably because the game penalizes moving first so heavily. Yeah. Uh, like when I was describing before the linebacker situation, that is exploiting that feature inherent in the systems. It is if I can force them to attack first, I can just keep either picking them off individually or I always making sure that I get the weapon advantage, mm -hmm. yeah. which turns them to shit. My favorite maps are the ones where the enemy comes to you and you can just like make a barrier out of like your best dudes. Oh yeah, it's always very fun. Well, the thing is, yeah. the enemy will always eventually come to you. Sometimes the they they come in waves, right? And like other things where like you are incentivized to go attack them. The I had my most success too. in yeah, the game. Yeah, the bosses. Oh, yeah. The bosses are always... The bosses are like the opposite of a fun, good thing <laughs> in a tactics game. Because they're literally a, an enemy that you can only attack with one unit at a time who stands in one place. So, like, even... You can multi-attack them. Well, I mean, even with range. But, like, they are surrounded on three sides. So, and because diagonal adjacency What are you work. talking about? The people in fortresses, like, they're going to be, like, a square, and they're standing there with a shield. Can you walk behind them? Uh, not behind them normally, but no normally, if they're, like, in a throne room or something, their left and right are also movable. Keep in mind how far into the game I got. Yeah. On the outdoor maps, yeah. the castle-bound bosses... Oh, you can only attack them you're from right. one side. Yeah, the, the castle-bound guys is just range, and you hit him in the face. You're yeah. right, because in Lin's story, there's just a couple of castles where people are put in. Yeah, And that's really terrible, especially considering the rescue mechanic, because you can literally just, like, walk a dude up, have him attack him. He gets attacked, you go move him, and then, like, the next best person comes in and stabs him in the face. Like, you just... It's a conveyor belt of punching, and that's all you do. <laughs> I had... I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I feel like the boss is... That's what they always are. Like, you have one guy come up, hit him in the face, move him out of the way. Someone comes in, hits him in the face, until he's dead. Yeah, I... rinse and repeat. I don't think I've ever, in my entire history, when I've played this game at least ten times through, actually done the conveyor belt feature, because I never optimized for time like that. <laughs> the, the goal of what they're trying to get in the boss encounters is not engaging finales of your tactics, because, again, the tactics is sort of just the tangential game element that's there to exist to make the story of the characters interesting. 
like the bosses are there just so your cool dudes can have their climactic final battle against the guy. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. mostly theater of the mind stuff. It's, it's really, not interesting from a mechanical sense. Yeah. yeah, if they were more dynamic, they would be more interesting mechanically. Like after everybody got cleared out, they like walked out and were a part of the field. Later bosses would, move. Yeah, but they would still be easier at that point because you can literally then just like surround them and just beat the crap out of them. Oh, easier is. I mean, easier once you've got them safe. But uh, this. Might be story time, but I only had like one time uh, my whole playthrough uh, this for the cast where I like severely messed up and had to actually get into like panic defense mode. Right. Um, and that was you, this is past where you stopped, but it's chapter twenty. It's right after the Dragon's Gate uh, when you're in the town and you get Ninian for the first time. Okay. Um, there's the boss of that level is sort of a warrior guy who's in, you're in a town and he's assaulting you from outside the town. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where my only character who died died on this playthrough. Yep, it's a, it's a hard situation because I forgot that that boss uh, moves unprompted. You don't have to even have someone in his range for him to come at your face. He just begins to charge, <laughs> and that charge was uh, terrifying because I had not cleared out the surrounding area yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, you can't like. You could try and take advantage in that sense, but they're bosses, so they'll hit hard on anyone. So there's pretty much no one... It, like, the tactic I described earlier relies on your ability to have one guy who's, like, totally safe when he encounters this dude, which you can normally assure with the weapon triangle. Right. But when you're against a boss... It's like a shortcut for victory. Yeah. No <laughs> one is safe. No one is safe. So you can't... You, you can't have the assumption that, like, oh, this guy will just be able to tank four people. Mm. Uh, yeah, the my boss experience, especially in the last chapter that I played, knowing that it was going to be the last chapter I played before the uh, the cast, yeah. was not, like, representative in any way. Because I literally was just like, Marcus, and just put him in front of me, just like, <laughs> stabbed him repeatedly until he died. Marcus. There were no tactics at all. He Marcus the boss slayer. Yeah, he just rolled everybody. You guys used Marcus for bosses primarily? Uh, yeah, it was either him or Oswin. Yeah, uh, it's like a lot of people. Oswin was like my permanent backline because his movement speed is so slow. Right. So like, it's just like if people can't... Because this is the fucking... This is my biggest issue with the way that this game plays. Okay. Is... When you're playing a tabletop RPG, RPG, when you're playing a tabletop tactics game, the other person doesn't just go like, and now I'm going to put these guys on the field, <laughs> because that's cheating and is bullshit. And so, like, I'll just be, like, walking around, and it'll be like, I'll put some marauders and join <laughs> the fight, and just run up and just fucking, oh, you're dead now, and I hope you play, I, like, another 20-minute battle again, because we just fucking dive bomb your back line for no reason. But outside of the hardest modes in the game, they never appear and attack in the same turn. You always get the one chance to plan and try and salvage. That's true. But this occurred most recently before I realized just how fragile what's-her-name-is, Florina. Yeah. So, like, they came up and I was just like, well, I'll just, like, throw in some quick damage while I get, like my better guys back to kill them. Yeah. And, like, she just, like, walks up and goes, like, but just, <laughs> and just, just obliterated immediately. Wait, you didn't, like, stop on the menu to look how much damage that they did to Florida? What? When you start to attack someone, there's, you have to press A once when you, and, and you it brings the up person. that stupid menu. Yeah, the menu that gives you all of the critical information of the game. The most, single most important menu in the entire game, more important than the map screen that menu. Once I learned the, like, 
weapon associations. I usually just sort of like mashed through that menu. I knew that it had. You HP. did not play the game. Yeah, I literally didn't know that it gave any. It just threw numbers up. Like I didn't even like. I am trained to ignore screens with nothing but numbers on them. They the game. Oh my, seriously? The game never tells you what that screen does. It just comes up and there's like a green arrow and a red down arrow. And I'm the, like, oh, okay. The game tells you, if you ever have any questions about anything, to hit R1. That doesn't bring up that menu. Yeah, it does. I don't know what you're talking about. Every time I actually took a picture of it because I was going to text you and go, what is this menu? And then <laughs> it never... Yeah, what the fuck does any of this mean? Okay, huge HP. Right. Right? Yeah, well, that is self-explanatory. Might I got that. hit, crit, their weapon. Associated bonuses. Might. might. What does that mean? It's, it's different than... It has to be different than attack, because they have to have different words for the amount of damage that your... Like, the amount of strength your unit has, the amount of damage your weapon deals, both together. That's might. Might is, like, all of it together, minus their defenses. So is this saying that I am going to do 9 damage and they're going to do 5? Yes, but it says you have a 100% chance of doing 9 damage, and they, and they have a 46% chance of doing 5. I had no idea what any of this meant when I was playing the game. I just aid passed it. It was, like, a complete, like, roll of the dice when I... What like encountered someone? Oh, did did you at least see the like the times two in that menu? I saw the times two, but I didn't know really what it was referring to. Oh my god! So I just sort of ignored yeah, it. To be fair, the the abbreviations are shitty and non-intuitive. Uh, yeah, and they never tell you what they mean. <laughs> to say I might have also have beaten Awakening without ever knowing what that menu was. What? Yeah, they really need to be way more upfront with that if it's actually important. It yeah. is like I said. I only... the, it is the game. It is the game, that menu. <laughs> yeah, because I think I only found out what it did because, like, I watched some, like, bit of a Let's Play for some reason. You guys And they never, were commenting on it. You never got the numbers association? That, like, that number... I guess you didn't... You, I don't remember why you stopped looking at it. But, like, it always did the same amount of damage as those numbers. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have recognized that at all. Because then you even have... Because it doesn't... Pull up like a number doesn't pop up when you hit someone. You would have to take their HP and then their like remaining HP and actually like Do figure math. out how much. Yeah. But they have like a bar which is associated like because it is a visual thing. You just like oh that did half their health. I hit them one more time, they die. Well, they have they always display the numbers and the bar is divided into pips. Right. But it's only like 20! You can just do the math! Cares? I know you can do the math, but who cares? Especially when you don't know that there's a thing that literally tells you how much damage you're doing in numbers. What do you mean, who cares? I mean, it, us, if you don't know that, you would not care about the number, like, the number value of the damage you did. You care if it is a lot or not a lot. I guess from your perspective, if you didn't thought, if you thought you didn't have any information on the amount of damage that was dealt to characters before you started fights... Maybe, because that would because because that's what you did, right? Is is like in the Florina story, you went up to her and you were like, "Oh shit, they can just kill her in one hit," and that was a surprise to you. Yeah, completely taken off guard. That's like I didn't even know. In fact, unbelievable. I, this like yeah, like in this this honestly probably would make the game considerably more boring for me now knowing that because you literally could just take an extra ten seconds and think about every attack you make, and that sounds terrible. You take minutes to think about every attack you make. I take seconds. <laughs> like, 
few, very few seconds. My my whole strategy in this game was mostly to just like form a line and slowly progress through toward my eventual goal, That's while p- people come at me and I attack them with people, <laughs> based on the like. Pokemon type rock paper scissors weapon triangle, yeah. and then ranged people when available, and just try to eliminate people before doing damage to other people. <laughs> to keep in mind of how critical the stats were, the weapon triangle didn't exist in the early NES games. That was something they added later. That's mm. also like when I was playing Awakening, took me a while to figure out that that existed too. The like the weapon triangle, but it's a shortcut to victory. I'm sorry, they used the term shortcut I to know, victory they did. twice, and like, that was enough for me. I was like, I thought I saw the arrows and like I thought that it was something to do with like weapon degradation or something. Oh, for mm. like a first couple of stages. Yeah, that's fair. You don't understand why you make the inclination. But like yeah. I said, even though I, I'm being all up into grills about this, the reason that I held back in the first place is so I could hear about shit like this. Because it's, like, this is pretty much just a religion to me. Like, there's nothing that I don't know about this game. <laughs> I feel like it would have been beneficial for both of us for you to have told us about the fact that those numbers mean something. Those, in fact, that I was mean, so obvious to me that I didn't, like, it, it was no, just yeah, a horrible I had, accident. I had literally the exact same experience as Chad, like, in my first Fire Emblem game. I think Where I just, f- like, mashed through the menu. You watched me play... Yeah. Did you think I was looking at those numbers? I mean, it, it was the tutorial. I guess I was, like, just not thinking about it. I, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I did not ever even think. Like, I, I mean, remember like, seeing MT and being like, mountain? <laughs> <laughs> Four mountain. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what yeah, this that, is. Yeah, that menu, especially, like, how slow the progression is in these games, that menu seems so unimportant. In the beginning. What do you mean by by progression? Like, the game starts out really slow and really easy. Mm-hmm. To the point where you you can just ignore that menu. Yes, assuming you always use swords. Yeah. So, wow. that's how that happens. I just use the Amazing. menu to remind myself of, like, the fact that my weapon was, like, I Good. was using the right weapon on the right person. Yeah, fair. That's literally all I ever used it for. To be fair, uh, especially in the later games, they began to adapt more to sort of like that approach to these games, uh, where you you spend you don't spend like the minutes trying to think and do the math about everything that's going to happen, mm. and you just go through with it. I think in Awakening, you can literally just turn off that menu, uh, and on certain difficulty modes. I may, it might just be I might just be confusing myself, and it might just be a thing that's permanent in the settings. You can edit the menu to make it more complicated in the settings in seven. <laughs> I assume I don't even understand why the more complicated menu is there, but that's getting too much in the weeds. My point is that the longer that the series went on, after they in the Awakening era started to like try and mass market the game again. Uh, they made accommodations to people who were just like, "Yeah, charge," and did that. <laughs> Dumb people, basically. Not dumb people, because it's you didn't. It's not. I don't understand what's happening. Right. It's that you never took the effort. You didn't like attempt to write a thesis on the game. Right. You just played the game in the way that you'd play any other game. The thing, I, what yeah, I was it, thinking, it was, is weird to think that they don't really draw attention to that menu. Right. Like I think they do. Just think that you're coming from a place where you will take every menu they give you very seriously right. but they give you too many menus for me to have like actually tried yeah. to comprehend all of it. Yeah, it's they, just too much. They do that, I don't like, even really know what the incremental stat 
like increases really did. Oh, that's like, fair. Because like they're so minor in terms of like because I remember like I remember I the healer the cleric. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember her name. Sarah. Sarah. Um, like I, <laughs> I like healed someone and I leveled up and it was like your magic increased by one. I was like that makes sense. That'll make my heals better. And I did it and I didn't really see a difference. And then like my proficiency with the staff went up and I still didn't really see a difference. And I was like she's a vulnerary. She's just a vulnerary that walks around. That's all she is. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm not gonna try and understand. How much better at healing she's getting. One. She's just going to heal people. It's one better. It's one better? Yeah, every point is one better. What about the points in the weapon proficiencies? Weapon proficiencies uh, is, uh, understandably, if, again, are wanting on that, it just controls uh, how good of stuff you can use. The more proficient you are with a weapon, uh, the better weapons you can wield. The only exception to that is the highest possible S rank that I think gives you like an extra critical chance on that weapon or something. Can you critically heal? No. I never had that happen. No, healing is just math. Healing is, like a heal staff is 10 plus magic. Yeah. And that's all. Yeah, she was basically just a machine. Yep. Like in the game's terms. Because you get 10 XP every time you use the heal. The heal heals for the same amount every time. <laughs> it's like, okay. I can understand why... They, they want the randomness and the drama in combat scenarios, but randomness in healing, this is, again, probably just me speaking through biases, seemed like it'd be really shitty in the, ta- in the tactics context of the game and not in the, like, the D&D origin context of the game, because mm. it would make it so much harder. Like, imagine the world where you were co- attempting to recover from, like, a poor skirmish and you pulled your knight back and you're, like, healed, oh, just for two this time. Yeah, Doesn't well, actually make a difference. See, coming from tabletop tactics games, though, healing is such like a valuable asset to have that it has without like going into rules most of the time has like a 50 or more percent chance of just not doing anything and like the remaining chances are between like the minimum and like a very small amount like it is not the it's not a matter of just being like I pull someone back and return them to full health it's like, in a moment of desperation, if I can get them away from their assaulter, maybe I can get a few points back. Because it makes such a difference in your stats in that scenario. Oh, yeah. Because, like, as a healthier unit, you are better. Whereas in this game, Lin at 1 HP is as good as Lin at 40 HP. Correct. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a different scenario, I guess. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of mechanical weirdness in that. Yeah. I can see the... the but I found above. it very odd that, like... Your heal was just like a. It was just a heal button, is all it was. Yeah, yeah, with limited uses and all the other nonsense. But there was there were stats and going back to the like larger menu information overload stuff. It perfectly makes sense that you would not attempt to like really recognize what all the specific stats did in specific circumstances. The broader value of that stat system and why they chose the super complex one that they did wasn't even for game balance or anything. You could make a, like a core Fire Emblem experience with half the amount of statistics that this game includes or throws at you. They did it as other ways you can differentiate and gran- have like granularity between characters. They, the stats are there not just so that you can try and make like interesting decisions based on how good people are at what, but they're there so that you can learn things about the people by looking at the stats screen. Right. Yeah, it, it just I just feel like at that point they could have just had and I mean this is this plays into just how this game plays. 
they could have just had everyone have a set value. Like, this person has does this much damage forever and never levels up. And the only thing that changes is, like, the number of enemies and, like, their ability to do things and the type of enemies that there are. But then just limit you in the like the the unit selection rather than by number but like by some arbitrary value of saying like if you're gonna bring Marcus into the fight who will just one shot things with a spear forever uh, not forever no but. yeah <laughs> for a while uh, then you can't bring like three other lower level people you that attitude is really informative because that shows how much weight you're putting into the tactic side of the mechanic set, which mm. is understandable and most people do. But they made that game, and it is Advanced Wars, people who want that. The point of this game is the RPG progression. A game, Fire Emblem without leveling up, is fundamentally not Fire Emblem. Not just... Like, the whole point of what they're throwing at you... And the reason that, for example, the stats are randomized when they level up is so that there's variation between what units are good and bad, not just generally, but between playthroughs. Like, you might have someone with good levels, and you might have someone who just just got unlucky on the rolls, and you can't really use them anymore because they're not good enough. It's designed, if you're trying to play the game optimally multiple times through, so that you always have to engage with different characters. And they want you to engage with different characters, not just as, like, an intrinsic difference-in-kind thing like it would be in a tactics game. Mm -hmm. They want you to do that so you can see how playing with different different people lets you learn more about them as people. That's, like, the primary... Like, if, if you play through this game, which I can anticipate your answer on, and you don't <laughs> care about anyone in the game, you will hate these games forever. It's the point of the game to care about the characters and not the maps. <clears throat> That's like an alien statement to Chad. Ah, uh, Kent, my boon companion. <laughs> Why so severe an expression? Yeah, that is a direct quote from like Sane. Yeah. from saying from like the third level of the game. Right, that line stopped me completely dead. Like I put the game down and sat and like put my hand on my face and thought about it for a minute, and I was like, "There is a zero percent chance that I will be able to take this even a little bit seriously based on that dialogue." You generalized wrong. That gen that dialogue is there. Because Sane is a stupid, overnightly asshole. Everyone talks like that. No, everyone does not talk well, not, like that. If you're able to discern the like differences in speech between the characters, then you have a broader like appreciation for fantasy dialogue than I do. Because Probably. everyone in the game, to me talked like a like a fucking lord in lording town. <laughs> England in the year 1602. And it's like, actually I found an article because I was trying to find like a proper noun to use in this scenario because I just call it fantasy dialogue. Yeah. And I'm like, there has to be, like I call it like fantasy dialogue, like old, old English. English or something. But it isn't because I searched this shit. And it is just a bastardized version of the language that's used in Gerald Hawkins' novels. Yeah. And it's like, the article that I found, though, that I really appreciate was on... Um, actually, I, I still have pulled up. It's on uh, on Kotaku. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically common from D&D. <laughs> exactly. It's by an author named Kate Cox. I want to give, like, proper credit. The title of this article is The Trouble with Most High Fantasy Dialogue is That It's Terrible. And this, like, rang so true with me, where it's like, I am a human being... 
in the 21st century. And this game was made by human beings in the 21st century. It is better and more understandable to your audience to just say something in a simple terms. They have characters who speak like that. They have characters who speak in simple... Sure, yeah, because the characters, the characters who aren't lords <laughs> speak like that. <laughs> there are so many lords, though. <laughs> there, are, there are three lords. There's, okay, there's... From the characters that I encountered, yeah. right? We have, like... We have the overly knightly sane, a.k.a. a molester. <laughs> uh, attempted. Attempted. Attempted molester. Yeah. Uh, we have Florina, who is basically offensive. Just like I'm, glad I've become less timid around men. It's like maybe you were timid around men because literally all of them murder people and carry weapons or try to <laughs> fuck you at every possible opportunity, which is weird. And like she's being captured by bandits who are like vaguely sexually threatening her. Yes, like. It's like a totally that, understandable character trait for that, her. Yeah, I mean yeah. that seems appropriate for like the kind. And of time everyone period. gives her tons of shit for it. What? What are you talking about? Lynn is just like, are you fucking like, oh, you're all scared of men again, and like makes apologies for her. Well, yeah, because Lynn's like a headstrong, characters. like she's like, okay, I, I know everything about everyone. Yeah, okay, I get this. Yeah, there's like the super like meek merchant guy that I ran into and he's oh please like leave your items for poor Merlinus. It's like oh my god. I can't I really just can't deal with it. They're all tropes and we make this argument every time people things have to be tropes so that people understand them. Yeah. But it's like this game prides itself on its ability to like tell a story and have deep character interaction. They have a mechanic that I really like <laughs> <laughs> Where when characters spend a lot of time in close quarters, they get additional conversations and dialogue, yeah. which is great. And combat bonuses. And then combat bonuses. But it's just like, I cannot engage with this kind of a story. It's like, you, from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but yeah. in Radiant Dawn, the like main plot of that game is you attempting to kill a god. Not the... The second act, it's a really good transition. The Radiant Dawn is a sequel to a, like the, a, the last game in the series, a GameCube game. And the whole point of that last game was to try and stop a particular god from being released. And then two-thirds of the plot of Radiant Dawn is you continuing to try and do that until you fail, at which point you team up with that god to kill another one. Right. What an epic, cool storyline. Yep. In Fire Emblem, you just save dads. You save dads all game. There's like there's a conspiracy plot. A guy gets poisoned. He doesn't die for three months. <laughs> They're poisoning him for three months. He's got a high vitality. Well, yeah, I think he's just immune to poison. They could have stopped yeah. trying to save. He him. got to the point where he built up an immunity. <laughs> yeah, they, they did it too small because they doubled the dosage eventually. Yeah, so they did it too late. And he gets yeah. sicker, but still doesn't die. In Fire um, Emblem, you save dads until chapter nineteen, and then you stop saving dads. All the dads are saved at that point. No, at that point, one dad is saved, which is the first ten, and then nine chapters later, the dad dies, and then after that, you have the rest of the story of the game. Uh, I guess to throw my hat into the ring here. Please do. Uh, <laughs> I, I sympathize with Chad uh, because I felt like the beginning of the game, like the tutorial, felt like the dialogue was 
awful. If for some reason somebody's listening to this without having played the game, yeah, the first third of the game is a tutorial. Is a tutorial. Yep. So, like, I feel like this is an instance where we can't say in the tutorial and be like, oh yeah, sure. in the negligible bullshit part of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a sizable percentage. Actual levels yeah, of yeah. game, and that's why. Like when you're going through the tutorial and everything's so incredibly simply simple and easy as you yes. described it, they're relying on you caring about the characters and the conversations that happen between the characters to be the thing that motivates you forward. Mm. Like in, for example, the very second map of the game, where they're teaching you like how to move and weapon advantages and stuff, mm -hmm. they intentionally intersperse conversations between the characters and between everything that you do, mm -hmm. so you don't feel like it's boring learning. The idea being you're supposed to care about those conversations, and yeah. that's the rewarding feature. But the thing is, is like I'm not, I didn't dis, I didn't just like disengage and like put myself in a bubble and being like Fire Emblem is making me uncomfortable with oh, all yeah. of its fantasy dialogue because there's too many. It's too much for you to skip did, all of it. Yeah, I, uh, I did attempt to like engage and learn about the characters, but it's just like. I don't know, just like, I couldn't get past, like, the dad-saving and old English dialogue. It's like, that is too much that doesn't interest me, and there's so much of it in the game. It's more than half of the game is your primary motivation is saving dad. It's the last 11 where the saving game dads. takes the last... What? I'm, I'm <laughs> saving dads is fair, even though technically it's a grandpa yeah, at first. <laughs> grandpa. He's being poisoned for three months. So he's even elderly and being poisoned and still manages to survive. <laughs> I don't know. The only thing, because I don't want to like, this is like the most negative thing that I had about the game. Is yeah. I just felt like, I felt like it was a personal affront to me that it was like continuing to like bring all of this crap into my face <laughs> between every like actually interesting tactical mission. Uh was just the fact that, like... And I know that this happens at the end of the actual game as well, yeah. so I'm, I'm not just trying to, like, blow smoke here. In the first... Like, after you complete the tutorial, they do, like, a where are they now segment where, like, it's in black and white and it shows, like, a paragraph about where everybody is. Yep. I feel like that was... And albeit at the time, I didn't know that those characters were going to come back. I feel like that was totally unearned because the game doesn't, like... The characters are not... A lot of the characters are not developed enough to warrant that. Like, I did not care where Urk went. Like, I've known him for of all of an hour and a half, and now he's gone, and they're like, and he went off to blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right, oh, it, like, it, see you later, Urk. It, again, I never had the resistance, because that probably created my preference for that sort of, like, bastardized Tolkien dialogue. Not that I ever express it in any meaningful way in any other medium or something, mm. but, like... I absolutely cared about that. That was, in fact, the only reason I progressed through the game ever, was to try and, like, figure out and, like, find the interstitial conversations. When I first started, I didn't know what triggered supports, for example. So the idea of coming through and being like, oh, man, do these people talk? What the fuck will they talk about? And then going through it was so fun to me. I mean, I, mean, I think that there's, there's something to be said because this game came out in 2003. Because, like, things like that exist in games now. Like, where characters can develop relationships independently of the main plot. Yeah. In games that are not RPGs. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this game, I think it's novel, and I still really like its implementation in this game. It's just that the reward wasn't really there for me. It was just lots of pressing A. I have a feeling you guys are going to give me horrible stares for this, but I, I openly, I'm... 
I don't have like the citation on me, but you guys can Google this postcast. The Fire Emblem local localization team is like lauded. Like it's one of like the best video game localization teams. So much so that I hear people talk about it out of context with the games and they have only gotten better. So much so that like awards were won for the writing of Awakening independent of the gameplay. The, this is, I'm going to link this here now also because it's sort of linked to story stuff, but the amount of shit that is hidden narratively in this game is astonishing. I have continued to learn, me, who Googled everything forever about the game, uh, <laughs> just completely new facts about like relationships between the characters and important events that like led up to what's going on literally a decade after I bought the game. In 2013, I learned what could be like the most critical plot element of the whole thing, which is the Nurgle's actual motivation for attempting to like, why he was so obsessed with dragons and trying to get them back. Mm-hmm. Is it because he was upset that his name was so stupid? No. <laughs> it is because uh, he had like, there was like a magical corruption going on in his mind that was manipulating his memories and the obsession with calling them but not sure if what to do with them was him attempting to call his kids back to him, and his kids are Ninian and Nils. Oh, okay. And everyone is aware of that, but neither of them talk about it ever, because they never... We either just assume that everyone already knows. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because they're secretive about all of their shit, because they're dragon people, which you probably also don't know, but it doesn't matter. But yeah. I knew that there were dragon people in the game, thanks to... Uh... Andy? Me? Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> True. <laughs> Different game. True. But like the amount of narrative content that's that you have that you get the amount of new narr- narrative content you get in between playthroughs of this game is unbelievable to me. Like every character, even abstracting away from the support conversations, which are like between three and seven sets of three conversations for literally every character in your army. Mm. So that's like 60 times five times three or something. Uh, You have, there are like 12 independent maps that are not just the secret X maps, but there are just variations that'll happen. Uh, The map... um, how you said you got to what like 28 when yeah. you eventually had to stop uh the, the map when you're like investigating the black fang fortress uh it, it's snowy outside oh yeah that, i like that map there are two different versions of those of that map completely different maps dependent on just like arbitrary conditional features like i believe with that one it's whether or not uh the total sum of all your caster levels is higher than your non-caster levels or vice versa and that happens multiple times where your experience can be completely different for things that you might not even through playthroughs even understand the triggers of. Like, I, I could not list you the amount of secrets that are present in this game. It, it's not... I, I wouldn't put it to rival something like an open-world game like GTA or something that just has so much room to hide them. But I, without exaggeration, think that there are more secrets in this game than any other linear game I've ever played. And it's part of the reason that I replayed it so many times. I assume that's, like, the goal of putting that many, like, variants into the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's so replaying... But it's not, like... It's not in a lot of games, like Mass Effect or something. Well, I guess maybe that's maybe disingenuous to Mass Effect. I'll just get to the point. Replaying is something the game really wants you to do. Like, very badly. And not just in a completionist sense, 
like in a like some systems of the game are designed under the understanding that you'll play it multiple times. It's the stat system is randomized so that you'll use different characters so that you'll learn more about their lives. That's like, an interesting uh, thing that that's consistent between the two games that you picked. What do you mean? That you said that on about Catherine as well. The, like the game doesn't expect you to have grasped the mechanics by the time you've beaten it the first time. Ah, it's also true of Undertale. True, but I'm not yeah. referencing mechanics here. I'm not referencing okay. like you'll get better at the game through multiple playthroughs. The game wants you to play multiple playthroughs so you can learn more about the story, which right. is the opposite of Catherine because okay. you don't want to replay Catherine for story right. reasons. Right. What my question though is like. What is the, what is the motivation for that? Like, and obviously, like I won't question like the artist's intent, because someone sat down. In fact, because of this localization team discussion that we had, s- multiple people <laughs> sat down and wrote a lot of dialogue about a very in-depth story that probably has like a di- like a plot diagram. Yes, <laughs> and I, I just don't understand what the motivation is to produce a game that takes so long to get through with the intent that in order for somebody to actually experience what you're trying to put across, they have to play the game multiple times. Well, uh, um, I think this relates to the conversation we had about Dark Souls a while ago, like out on, you know, on your back porch, like (laughs) that sense that like, if you're into the game Mm -hmm. and then you can play it again and it now has new content... That's, like, one of the most satisfying things that a game can deliver, I think, at least in my opinion. And an important distinction between this and the Dark Souls comparison is that unlike the Dark Souls narrative, it's not, like, almost impossible to grasp what's going on. You just learn more about what has gone on. Like, you can... You go... Like, you don't need multiple playthroughs to understand... The main plot. Yeah. Right. You just need multiple playthroughs to truly understand characters and to find more people and to learn about the setting, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. I mean, I just I just think it's an unusual, like, yeah. thing to do. Because, like, Dark Souls has the opposite effect with me, where it's, I play through that game multiple times to do different things mechanically. And I would play through this game multiple times, theoretically, if I were to do that, uh in order to, like, focus on different types of units. That would incidentally accomplish the goal of having those units be more important in my story. Like, they would have more dialogue. Mm-hmm. But, it, like, it's just... I don't know. Like, I feel like most people, most players of this game, are not aware of the support system, because it's not explicitly stated. Well, through just probability if you actually completed a playthrough it'd be almost impossible for you not to get at least one but you would get them but you wouldn't know why yeah yeah and that's like so i don't think that i I feel like it's only the diehards that would actually play through the game multiple times they have dedicated in the options menu a list of all of the supports like and all the people you can support with and you can listen to the conversation or listen you can read the conversations again right. they just keep that in the like in right beside like Do the sound room they pop up their department store mannequin like illustrations of their face while they converse dude in for a Game Boy Advance game this that game is looks, a smart decision this game looks really good there's actually <laughs> in my notes I have a lot on the visual and sound design yeah. because it's really good 
But they have Ditto Face. It's really funny. They have Ditto ditto Face. Like the Pokemon Ditto. Oh, in the map sprites they do. Yes, they have Ditto Face. Oh, no, not in the map sprites. In, like, the... Like, Will, in, like, just a regular (laughs) shot of Will, has two black dots for eyes, and then just, like, Like, they're little portraits whenever they're talking. Yeah. It has, like, a low-res version of their face. Right. It's just, like, very loosely defined (laughs) eyes and mouth. I don't... I don't like know. Like when they're well, like this. Like no, like when, when the characters are talking, there's the characters. Yeah, yeah. But the, then there's their the bo- shoulder. Yes, but bus. then there's the box that has the text, and in the corner there's like a little portrait of who's talking. What? That little portrait has a ditto face. What? There's a. We'll we'll pull it up because I, I think that you were thinking based on his description of something that's not that doesn't exist. I think it's. I'll explain. But we will. We should take a break, and we'll come back with like a short second half. And we'll talk about more about like the technical aspects of the game and and in the meantime, stuff up. I will learn something new about Fire Emblem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So since the first half was kind of just JJ and Chad arguing with each other, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give my spiel on this game, and I'm gonna open with JJ once said. That Trine was the mashed potatoes of video games to him. <laughs> Fire Emblem 7 for the GBA is the mashed potatoes of video games to me. <laughs> <laughs> my organs swelling out of my stomach. Um, I acknowledge, like, this is a good game in a genre that's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Awakening first, which I also think negatively impacted my experience with this game and the reasons why is awakening has better writing better characters better dialogue (laughs) and is streamlined and trims all the fat from this game it's just like playing a more like an older worse version of it what do you think the fat of this game is um What's interesting is that we probably have different opinions on what the fat of the game mm-hmm. is. Right, which is why I'm asking. Because I totally agree with all the streamlining characteristics, yeah. and that's why Awakening is now, I think, the actual best one. In uh, fact, it was just, I selected this one because I thought I was picking the fat-trimmed one for you guys. Uh, I really didn't like how long the tutorial was. Cool. thought it was... That's, that could also be because you played Awakening first. Yeah. So which, you, have a, you had a mechanical right. setting. I actually had to learn that stuff. Right. Um, kind of. Right. <laughs> it just, I guess, maybe maybe I just really just meant the streamlining. Cause I, like, mean, that's, I mean, that is a that is a, va- a valid, like, fat trimming exercise. Yeah, yeah, because, like, I, like, like, I really did, I kind of agree with Chad that the dialogue is bad, but I only think that about the tutorial. I thought it... Like, the game... Like, I was worried when I started playing this that I was going to hate it. (laughs) Because I thought, like, the tutorial was really boring and I didn't care about any of the characters. And then it picked up afterwards. I was like, oh, now I'm playing Fire Emblem. (laughs) If only so that we... 12 hours later. (laughs) If only so that you can lower your shields. Yeah. So that later we can truly break you. (laughs) You will be at least happy to know that both Andy and I were pleasantly surprised with this game. Like, 
We both liked it more than we thought we would. Well, were see, I to. was actually pleasantly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it became what I thought it was going to be. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, it was, and uh, it felt awful to not have a map where the vendors were located. Oh, you, you, like the world map you map. Yes, the world map so much better than having to like go out of your way to go to a vendor yeah. on the map. Th- this is what I was gonna say is like I, I understand their like goal with the map vendors, where it was an like it was a it was a tax on your resources, both literally in terms of things cost money, yeah, and also because you have to divert troops away from the actual fight to get things from a vendor and sell things to make money. But it's like, the fact that you don't have access to that until you have a merchant, and I don't actually even know because the time that I had the merchant is where I stopped, Uh, you can't just get things in between battle. In fact, they don't even tutorialize or give you the option of the pre-fight menu where you can trade items until, like, the 8th level. Yes. So, for the longest time, like, it'd be like, one person had a stat, like, their weapon, and then just a stack of vulnerabilities, and I had to, like, taxi it around <laughs> to the rest of the group. <laughs> like, I just, Kent had a, had a, an iron sword and nine vulnerabilities, and I would have, because he had a high movement, because of his horse, and I would just run him to everyone else and be like, here's some healing items, and then back to the vendor, buy more healing items, and then ferry them over to the rest of the, the team who were actually fighting. So Probably I, why Kent died. So when I gave you guys the advice of use your vulneraries, you took that to mean like each character should have multiple vulneraries? I just assumed everyone should at least have a stack of them. Like a stack of three? Well, by stack of three, do you mean one? Yeah, like one. Oh, yeah. That's correct. Three. Yeah. So I'm still confused about the. Well, I would use them. When they ran out, he just had one character. <laughs> Who would go, but. Because I oh, you just used them more. Yeah. Okay, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like for the sake of convenience, I almost never went to vendors unless there was like a need to. Of course, yeah. And so I would go to the vendor and buy up as many vulnerabilities as, as Kent could carry. <laughs> And then he would just roll that out to everybody else. Yeah. Like a a distribution plan. Yeah. Seven was like a meth dealer. Seven was the last game where they didn't... You you weren't granted the ability to buy uh, weapons and armor outside of combat maps. Uh, Even though not every map has the Awakening-style overworld, it's, uh, I believe, just Awakening and the game right after this one, number eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously Fates, and they'll probably just keep the map forever now. But um, the, you, they were like you would have like armorers that would just travel with your convoy right. in like nine and ten, for example, where you could always just like buy and forge weapons and do stuff like that. Yeah, that seems like a good thing. Yep. I feel like there's been a like a general shift in games now, uh, like in the industry as a whole, which I'm I'm happy to see. Um, where like back in the day. In like the early two thousands, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the day. Yeah, it feels weird to say that, but like it's a young medium, so you could have things like, say, like Devil May Cry one and Devil May Cry two, which were vastly different games because like one was like 
whatever. Like, it was Devil May Cry 1. It was the quintessential game in that genre. Yeah. And then Devil May Cry 2 was, like, similar, but, like, really hard, and they made some weird changes. And it's, like, nowadays, as, like, series get longer and go on, I feel like it's making less of a... There's not, like, such a stark difference between games, and it's more like the games are the same game, but they've made, like... Almost everything is an improvement on, like, the formula. Like, things are being refined instead of changed. I don't know why, but it seems like the current market is also a lot more amenable to spinoffs. Mm-hmm. And it might just be me editorializing, so I want both you guys and the listeners to fact-check me on this <laughs> on their own time. Uh, Do you but, have any examples in your pocket? Uh Nintendo, but it seems like Nintendo may have just done this a lot. Like they've just made that their whole business model at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you'll have. It seems like these days, as series have gone on, the variability within mainline series has gone down a lot, and they've attempted. It's, it's a whole lot more about polishing than it is about radical differences, mm-hmm. and those radical differences become reserved for spinoffs. Yeah. The the one that I was going to what what is the the game that just recently like came to the 3ds and they made a big deal out of it? It's like a Japanese game, Dragon Quest. Oh, is that a real thing? That's a real thing. Which yeah. Dragon Quest? Is well, it eight? Yeah, they've recently brought one okay. to the United States that ha- that wasn't previously there. Yeah, that's right. What it is. Yeah, okay. So this Dragon Quest is is a good example of this because I mean, albeit this game has like that series apparently has like a hundred titles in it, which is crazy. <laughs> but uh, that game, that game series has literally like tens, dozens of spinoffs. So like. They have Rocket Slime, which is like a puzzle game featuring characters from the game, and then they have other games that are similar to the like general RPG that the main series is, but it's different in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's like, obviously the spinoff thing is, I feel like it's almost a Japanese thing that's just becoming more westernized. I feel like Monster Hunter has tons of spinoffs that the West just never saw. Until very recently, uh, Fire Emblem has never really been sort of into that. But that was mostly just because we're in the U.S., so there wouldn't if there were, there's, there was barely a market for this game until Awakening. Yeah. So. It seems like yeah, there's more of a market for like casual games in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And now I have the opportunity to play Shin Megami Tensei <laughs> FE Sharp 2.8 Final Cut. <laughs> Uh, Budokai Tenkaichi Tenkaichi Budokai Tetsuo the Iron Man Uh, What were we talking about? I don't know Most of the notes that I have remaining actually are on uh, the visuals of this game which I think are really good Oh yeah People um, for backstory to that the like the not 8-bit what do you call this style? Pixelated? What's uh, the GBA was thirty-two bit. Yeah, yeah, why am I blanking on the name of like this pixel art? Yeah, the pixel art of this game was so good, in fact, that once they re-put the game back on consoles in the GameCube era, people were all like bad about it because they were widely uh, the Television System was was widely considered like one of the best pixel artist studios that still did that. There were so few people who I did like that. that. I don't know if this is like an actual thing or just your brain, but yeah. like in your mind, Fire Emblem is made by like a super group of video <laughs> game developers. That's they fair. have like the they're the greatest localization team to ever walk the earth. <laughs> and the, and the greatest, pixel greatest pixel art ever. And that's all 
all I'm going to commit myself to with the word greatest. It's those two things. I think other things can be better, but not those. I think the actual, like, in-map sprites are pretty, like, well done. Yeah. Because they're so small. Yeah. But they you can tell. They convey, yeah, they convey a lot of detail. The only thing that I had an issue with was I don't understand why the sword-wielding enemies had, like, a shoulder strap. Because... Uh, <laughs> You'll say they have like their sprite like goes like this, and I'm doing like a dumb like up and down like steering with an enormous steering wheel motion, uh, and then there's like a brown shoulder strap that like connects to the pixels on the sword, which are the same color, and so they'll be doing this, and I just think that they're holding an axe. It just looks like an axe oh. to me, and so I would come in and like because I blaze through the useful menu, just like. <laughs> totally miss attacks that I had no business missing because I used the wrong weapon on them. Yeah, you, Other than that, all the pixels should be good. You mentioned this in the first half, too, but the, the like, map sprites have no relation to... Well, no necessary relation to what weapons equipped it. Because you can just press R. Yeah, it's just determined by their class. And the class determines what weapons they can wield, but if you have, like, a knight, they're just always going to be displayed with a lance. Well, I mean, they're... The enemy sprites, so, like... There will be an enemy sprite that has an axe or an enemy sprite that has a sword. Right. And it took me a while to realize that axe wielders are all crazy buff dudes. Yes. But eventually you get to that point and it'll be like, they're still like, they're mounted knights. You can really not tell if they're using a lance or a sword. Not, not to the map both. sprite, no. That's what yeah. I meant is that it's just a representation of the class of the thing that you're fighting, not mm-hmm. like the real specific guy. Although that, that does touch on one thing that I really do like in terms of the storytelling of the game. Uh, which is that they, they work hard to always represent events that are going on, if they can, with the assets of like the combat portions of the game. Like if people are moving around, they're moving around on something that is just a map screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like, A kind of map that looks like the one you could be able to move around and interact with. Mm-hmm. If people fight in the story, they fight in the actual like combat dialogue window. And you have expressions of like people's relative strengths and weaknesses within that in the story. Which is uh, like, I really liked, I think this is after you stopped, just after it, unfortunately. But, like, the progression and introduction of Jafar as a character is something that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, like, are able to just show you up front his, bil- his ability to just instantaneously kill everyone. Yep, he's such a badass. <laughs> he's, he's very cool. Yeah. yeah. But, I remember, speaking of instantaneously killing everyone, Yeah. Uh, you made a warning to us a long time ago that was like, don't use your generals too much. Yeah. Use your generals if necessary, but, like, you don't want them to, like, siphon experience from everybody else. Yeah. Enemies in this game love to just run headlong into certain doom. Yep. So, like, a guy will run in and attack a general. He will just, like, impale him through the head and drink his bodily (laughs) fluids and then rip him to pieces. (laughs) And then... Another guy will be like, well, that guy just got turned into skin confetti. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. As well. And just run in. I'm just like, please stop attacking that guy. Like, I feel like one dude who's at like 99 experience and can't hit a guy because everybody's just running straight into the general and getting eviscerated. What I went by don't use the general is don't put him in a position where people hit him. That will when they just insert new units from off of the map. You have a turn. You have a turn. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I always use the generals, and it works out fine for me. 
So, the, but uh, there's an extreme. There are like it's hypothetically possible. So to it's just like beat the this. equivalent of like just only using your starter Pokemon. <laughs> Literally only, yes. Yeah, okay. Like, you you can get through the but tutorial. Like, like, I had Marcus at, like, level 20. And, like, everyone else was still fine, too. Weird. Yeah. You're good. You're good at this game. I am the best. There's no mistaking. The general's also... Well, specifically, who's that dude that you actually promote in the tutorial? Wallace. Wallace. Has the best attack animations in the game, like, by a million percent. <laughs> Which, coincidentally, is the general class attack animations. Gen- you're using general as just, like, a normal term. Right, yeah, meaning... Yeah, yeah, yeah Wallace's class general. is general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Marcus is a, is a, a paladin, paladin yeah. so it's a different thing. But, yeah, he just, like, fucking lobs an axe, like, <laughs> with just so much force that it just horizontally moves and lodges itself into the opponent's chest and then stands completely still as, like, a mechanical chain <laughs> yanks it back into his hand. Like, it literally cannot be more badass than that. It's pretty great, yeah. It is amazing. There's also, I really like the fact that the because of the sprites... Anytime that a mounted lance user does an attack on someone who isn't mounted, the like spear literally it goes into their eye, which is only like two pixels tall. So like obviously they did that intentionally. <laughs> yeah, it's just straight into the brain, and then they're fine. Also. Yeah, they're just like oh, fifteen <laughs> damage. My God. Yeah, that's actually the worst part about Marcus is that his spears don't even do that because he has this like big ornate thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had less direct head <laughs> mutilation than you would have preferred. They add to the badassery in the later games because everyone has battle cries. Uh, when they crit, they have battle cries. When they right. crit. Yeah. And um, what's his name in Awakening? Oh, Frederick. The, the, correct. Frederick has the most badass line <laughs> in a video game. It's like when he crits, he's just like, pick a god and pray. <laughs> and just like impales them. I like. It's like that's the coolest line ever. That's just like that is that is honestly just an improvement over this game's critical system because in this game they always do like uh, the medicati, or I guess it would be any sword that Lin uses um, is fine. Like the crit is like she just like takes a little bit longer and then vanishes. And then shows up and made her Smash Brothers. It's her Smash yeah. Brothers thing. Yeah, uh, but like some people, they went like like in some with some classes, they go like way overboard with the critical <laughs> animations. Marcus like does a lance charge for like nine seconds <laughs> <laughs> while remaining completely in they, the same place. They still oh, yeah. have different animations for the crits. Yeah, but they, also a battle crit. Yeah, oh, yeah. they get very show offy also with their pixel animation and crits. They uh. This game does have my, what was, until Hyperlight Drifter, my favorite single example of pixel animation in the whole game. Uh, I, you mean in the whole of games? Yes, in, in game. The vast whole <laughs> of games. In the, the entity of game. The living embodiment of video. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you, you said you googled stuff about the ending? Did yeah. you see the, like, like the like, cool, awesome weapons that you get at the end? No. Oh, damn. Because they, they go out with those. Uh, in the last level, all your lords get, like, hyper weapons. Uh, 
that, that have completely distinctive animations and representations of those weapons in the animations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lin uh, gets uh, like what's called uh, the, the soul kadi, which is like the other version of the thing you just referenced. Yeah, the and it has petty. like just the crit for the that is my favorite. This is my favorite animation of anything. It's so good. So good. I advise everyone we'll watch to, it later. to yeah. look that up in GIF form. Yeah, if there was any way that I could somehow beam that into yeah. the viewers' brains. You'd find this funny also because Ellie Wood's super weapon, when he promotes, he gets a horse. He's a horseback guy. Uh, yeah. So his hyper weapon. He doesn't is... just promote into Roy. No. That's. Uh, oh, he didn't reach the end of the game. Uh, I forget. I told you this. We might not uh, apparently, been... Roy is his kid. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Roy is in is as a, like a six year old in the game for five seconds in the epilogue. That's all right, it. All right. uh, but he gets like uh, Elliewood gets this like ludicrous sword that's like bigger than his horse in classic <laughs> anime style. But he like manipulates it. As if it was like a twig, like he just like fl- the whole thing. The whole point of the animation is that he just flips it around constantly. Right. It's really silly, and you would enjoy that also. I, I probably would. I, I loved like the fact that every class had a different like drawing of what they were using because like I remember I was going up against this guy. It was like a class that I hadn't seen uh, like up until then, mm-hmm. and he basically just looked like a samurai. Yeah, like, just. Wearing a gi, got long hair. Yep. And he is equipped with iron sword, which is this like he's just using a, k- a katana. Yeah. And then he's fighting my dude Lowen, the worst guy with the green hair. Yeah, with the shaggy green hair. Uh, he's the who's using the an iron sword, but he's like it's just like it just looks like he's like attacking them with a Toblerone. Like, it is the shittiest representation of a sword ever. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to lose this fight. <laughs> I did. It's just swords aren't cool enough? my sword was that cool enough. <laughs> Anime logic right there. Worst sword, worst person. Same sword, a different person using it. The, the, be- the cooler person is going to win every time. Also on animations uh, and things at the end of the game that are cool... Uh, you were referencing earlier how you wished that this game was more terrifying and more like Bloodborne. Yes. Actually, Andy joked about yeah, that, but you yeah. suggested that you would prefer this. Uh, the representations of dragons in this game, I also think, are super well done, if weird, because they do so much both mechanically and narratively to justify how like impossibly strong they are in relation to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the animation of the final boss that is a fire dragon is terrifying uh <laughs> i won't be able to do it justice in audio form of course so google that too yeah that's i, I mean yeah i pretty, pretty much like beyond that i've i've said everything the only thing that, that i thought was interesting was that despite like this game's generally pretty like melancholic tone yeah the like everything like all of the the maps and everything are very bright and clean. Yeah. Like, there's not, like... I imagine that in later games they probably changed this, just based on my, like, understanding of the games. Like, it's probably just, like... I don't... This is probably a worst-case scenario, but I'm imagining that you boot up, like, a modern Fire Emblem game and, like, the battlefield has, like, corpses on it, and, like... <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it maintains the same art style, basically. Awakening got brighter. Oh, wow. Yeah. There was... There was never the like the truly dark thing that you're referencing. The closest they ever got. They never go low fantasy. 
Well, <laughs> no, none that you played. Oh, I mean, maybe they do go low fantasy. Uh, what, they remade the first game, the uh, NES game, for the DS some years ago. Uh, it was the like eleventh game. That they I remember made. you playing that, and you told me that it was terrible. It was at the time the worst Fire Emblem game ever. Uh, I only learned about this when googling for the cast. Uh, I, I apparently they, for the first time they like radically changed the art style of the game, mm-hmm. and they had everything animated by the guy who animates Ghost in the Shell. Oh, uh, weird. Yeah, and it's like it still looks like medieval and everything, but man, is it ugly. Man, is it hideous in comparison to their normal pixel art. Uh, yeah, and then I mean, they changed the back. Is basically that is just like everything is gross and dark. But they still try to like keep the colorations of stuff. So you'd have like gross dark guy with red hair. Yeah, and well, because like my experience with Fire Emblem pre-playing the game is obviously like Roy mm-hmm. from Smash Brothers, and Roy, and therefore Elliot, who is basically the same person visually, yeah. is just like they're just Spider Man. Like it is. The like oh I see what you mean incredibly now. bright contrasting red and blue just sitting together and like lots of characters desi- are designed that way yep it's just like very clear they've got they that like anime of. fantasy armor of course that's all different colors it's like highlights yeah. all over it yeah neck guards oh, they're God, all ridiculous free, Marcus is that his name? Marcus is the general oh Marcus is the general um the guy with the wolf beal. Uh, Hector. 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 Yeah. Uh, that guy is like, they clearly went out of their way to make him like the edgiest, most like violent animal of a man in like how they designed his armor and everything. Cause like all the other lords are wearing like capes and like, <laughs> like they look like the, the characters in Smash Brothers that I'm used to seeing from the series. Yeah. And then he just has like friggin' like shoulder ornate shoulder pads and like all of this armor on and wields a big axe and like leaps 20 feet in the air to like come down and smash a dude. Yes. Yeah. He is very much that. Now do you see, hopefully at least after playing this game, why I complain so much about the representation of Fire Emblem within Smash Brothers? Um, I thought about that while playing. Yeah. So yes, kind of, but also still no because like... <laughs> I think they did a good job in terms of representing the games, but yes, they could have chosen some characters who were of different classes. I thought, especially the more that I've thought about it, I, the more I am like pro the existence of the weird make-your-own-character guy from Awakening, like how the oh, player, Robin. Ca- yeah, Robin. just because he's such a so much better job of like representation, representing like the mechanics of the games and yeah. how you interact with them than they any were of the real others. Clever with Robin, yeah. yeah. The one of the things that, because like one of his mechanics in Smash Brothers is that like your sword breaks and like you run out of magic in your tome, yeah, and so you just like throw them. Uh, I like I because like that never because I never even thought about playing a Fire Emblem game at yeah. that point. It didn't occur to me what it was representing, and it's just that much funnier to me now. The fact that you just have like because yeah, it's just representing that use of stuff. Yep. And how much is disposed of it. I find it interesting that you can, in Awakening, in, like, the circular logic that takes me from what I understand about Fire Emblem now to Smash Brothers and then to Awakening, a game I've never played. Yeah. In Awakening, you can just... Your lord can just be a magic user. And in Awakening, your lord can literally be anything. Okay. That's a really good change. 
Because yeah. I prefer can, magic to, like, melee combat generally. In, yeah, in Awakening, you can change any character to anything at any time, right? Um, uh, I don't, I, I I don't mean, know. I mean, it's probably not a good idea. I don't have yeah. Awakening as memorized. I don't think in Awakening it's literally anything. You can change your lord to literally anything, but I think right. individual people have, like, two other, like, base classes. Because I remember there was one character that I turned to like a thief or something and then they totally sucked balls and then I had to change the back because their stats weren't like good thief stats right thieves I don't uh, I feel like I didn't get far enough into the game yeah to make use of thieves mm-hmm. but they just seem, like Matthew just seems like the worst person on my team uh, in terms of offense, absolutely. Yeah. He, says, he says that in the dialogue. He's not His purpose, if you play through the game normally, is not to use him to kill stuff. He's just supposed to dodge things and get to treasure. Right. Uh, his, they, in one of the many like secret alternative playthrough things, there's a secret chapter and a secret shop that allow you to get uh, the, the promotion items. In a normal playthrough, you can't promote either of your thieves. But you can get the fell contract, which promotes them into assassins, which are like the Jafar's class. So okay. you can. So they're like badass new gods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, like on that map, he killed probably half the enemies and took like two damage. Yes. <laughs> wow. There was a. There was a. There were actually they did it twice actually in this game, uh, where they try and sort of flip over the normal oh, like pent? yeah rescue the uh, NPC level. Mm. There's there's. Uh, not defend, which are also earlier, but that was super tense yeah. for me. Like that with with Pence is like I'm trying to get through him, and your movement's lower because you're in a desert. Yep. And like I'm like, oh god, he's gonna keep getting attacked, and I'm not gonna get to him in time. <laughs> I had to start over, but then he just murders everything. <laughs> yeah. And takes like no damage. Pent- I'm like, I have to recruit him. Pent is literally capable of killing the entire map in isolation. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's a secret level that you get after that one depending on how much XP you could get in that level. So like oh, the challenge wow. of that level is like, don't let Pent kill everything after you've played it a couple of <laughs> it's times. It's also the map where you get Hawkeye who's also a badass. Yes. There were many good asses. Good asses. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think Pent was my favorite character. In terms of like mechanically, yeah, yeah, he was a uh, he's he's kind of the, exactly the example of like what the good tier magic users that oh, yeah. you were talking. He couldn't about use Nosferatu though, so he wasn't literally invincible. <laughs> True. <laughs> like in Awakening, I got to a point where I made my player character, my Robin, I like was it Sage, like the ascended magic user yeah that's one yeah the sage and then i there's another character who is a sage so i put them together there's a mechanic in awakening where you can like be friends be friends and if you put them next to each other they get like bonuses in combat not sure. support like they literally like right. you combine them into one person and yeah. it's like the friend group do they like stand in like one square square yes. okay that makes sense. yep yeah. and they both attack so and i just had them both and they both had nosferatu tomes they literally couldn't die <laughs> like they couldn't take enough damage and not heal it. Yeah, that wow. was um, the one. You can get a, a dark magic user in the game in yeah. uh, one of the really easy to access secret chapters if you visit one of the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, I must have, I missed that. Yeah, he's a guy named Canis, and he's the only dark magic guy that you get over the course of seven. Uh, but they sort of were very hesitant. They they made him only like a kind of okay character individually because dark tomes are so good. Uh, luckily, they're diverse enough that they're cool. You probably this is 
This is beyond what I Yeah, I but uh, like Luna Tomes, for example, dark magic uh, has really interesting diversities since until you get really late, most of the regular what? weapon classes. In non-dark magic uh, like classes, you'll just have like this weapon's a little less accurate, but a little higher crit chance. But in dark magic, you get like, okay, this is a weapon that hits almost constantly but and ignores all resistances, but it adds nothing beyond your in, innate strength. So it'll just like always deal 13 all the time and has a high crit chance. Or you'll have something crazy like Eclipse, which is like, oh, this is a long range one. But if it hits, it always deals exactly half health of the unit and doesn't actually deal like a statistical amount of damage. They use it in that sort of secret sense to give you access to a bunch of really weird things. Yeah. Uh, which was also cool. We've been going pretty long. I know. Uh, I expected that. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, did you have anything that you wanted to, like... Let's check the board! Run through? Because really, my takeaway from the whole thing... And I'm going to issue this as if it was a closing statement, but it in no way has to be. Mm -hmm. Is just that Fire Emblem is a game that I feel like I would enjoy if it was completely abstracted away from Fire Emblem entirely. So maybe Advanced Wars is what I would want. Potentially. It's just... Everyone... One of the easiest things that I think allows me to distinguish like whether someone like understands the design of Fire Emblem or not, and this happens constantly in, in reviews, is if anyone makes a comparison, not of the gameplay, but of the game as a whole to chess, I'm like, oh, you don't... Okay. Right. Like, it's, like it's, it's, yeah, it's... Because you were... It is, like, intentionally not balanced that way. Oh, yeah. If I had to... And it's nowhere near that difficult. Even when I was describing, like, the ML, like, you take minutes to think of individual moves. You don't do it in a chess sense. You don't, right. like, anticipate, like, the true alternatives that are happening. Like, it's not like everything's even and you have to always constantly think about what your opponent can do equivalently. Mm -hmm. It's... Yeah. If like, it was that hard, God. In, the, in that, like, p tabletop tactics game sense, you can always see your opponent's speed value. Yeah. You know how fast, how far they can move, but you, that, that's something that like when you're just going, when you're playing the game and wanting to play Fire Emblem, you don't really want to go in and like analyze all of that. And that's what just kind of like got. I was like, I know that I could be doing better, but I'm choosing not to. Yeah, it's sort of also the difficulty of these games, at least uh, once you understand the base mechanics, is really heavily shifted to the early game. Um, uh, so much so that oftentimes, if you do everything correctly, at about like five levels into your promoted units, uh, the game just becomes like laughably easy outside of the hard difficulties. So much so that you can kind of do whatever you want, and you right. can just be like, "I'm gonna throw this guy into there," and you'll just eat everyone alive in the same way that Jafar can eat everyone alive right. in, in those hypotheticals. Um, so the chess comparisons are generally unwarranted. Weren't there, like, specific mechanical things that you wanted me to talk about pre-cast? I forget. I, I wanted you to say a thing, specifically. Oh, earlier than that. Oh, I remember the luck thing. Yeah, because I, I discovered today, like, this morning, mm -hmm. that uh, when you level up, the stat points it gives you are random, which I just assumed that everybody had, like, a set, like, level tree and would be like... At this level, they get two, like like in D&D, &D, where yeah. it's like, in this level, they get a point here and a point here, and this level, they get two points here and one there. Uh, 
And so, now that I know that it's random, I'm retroactively furious about the fact that I got a level that was just one point in luck. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> feel real strong now. But in this game, unlike all other video games ever made, luck is actually not bad. It's just subtle enough that most people don't notice it. What luck does... Yeah, because this I still don't know. Uh, ...is gives you... It makes you slightly more accurate, slightly more easy to dodge, uh, it makes crits less likely against you, and a whole bunch of random other tiny stuff, like the chance that the devil axe will kill you if you attempt to use it and stuff like that. I'm just gonna accept that I don't know what that is, <laughs> even though it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. There's the a... The axe phone. The axe Another example of the crazy sort of weird items. I actually forget where you get the devil axe. I think it might be in a secret level too. But um, it's a, it's like an axe. A, an iron sword, for comparison, has like five damage as its value. Sure. Um, and characters can have between like normally five to twenty with pre-promoted for like their damage stat. Sure. Um, a devil axe has eighteen as its innate stat, uh, but it has a thirty-one minus your luck percent chance to do the damage to you instead. Oh. I was really hoping that it just, like, had a 31% chance to just instantaneously kill its wielder. Well, if you're an axe wielder, that's what that means. Well, yeah, I guess Because you have huge strength and 18 on top of that, so it's not uncommon for you to be like, oops, I just dealt 38 to myself. <laughs> I'm dead. Okay. On the note of axe wielders spontaneously dying, mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, what... In your... Okay, so I'm uh, just guessing that in your playthrough the answer to this is nobody. Did anyone just, like... Did you just let anyone be a corpse in I your game? I did. I... For time reasons. Uh, that's another thing. I felt like playing this game in a week also hampered my enjoyment of it. Okay. That's fair. But, um... I let uh, Dorcas die. No. He got killed. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. How late? How late? In, in that... the. The mission that we talked about, where it's like you're in the town at night. Aw, poor Dorcas. That means yeah. you actually put a lot of time into Dorcas. Yeah, Dorcas yeah. is really good. I, I liked Dorcas, He's fair. but um, yeah, I was just like, I'm not redoing this level yeah. right now. Yep. I can understand. <laughs> like that. Dorcas is dead. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what that's, that's He's what the, the only one who died to though, do. in my yeah. playthrough. So the deaths are all ultimately your decisions. Yeah, still. Yeah. yeah. Florina died in the mission that I got her twice. Both in the tutorial and again <laughs> when I got her the second time when she came back to life. Yeah. Uh, Kent died twice and I oh, undid Kent one died. of his deaths because he died on like level nine or something of the tutorial and yeah. then he died again on the first mission that I had him in. Uh, I lo Lynn died probably five times over the course of my 17 levels of play that I did. Uh, Elliewood only died once, so that was good. Only had to restart one of his levels, uh, and I lost Barter to like a random critical hit after I had already killed the boss. Yeah, and I was like not doing it again. This is like my shields down moment in relation to the games, because I think for the most part this is still a general problem. Um, I don't think any of these games should allow enemies that don't have weapons based around getting critical hits to be able to crit you ever at all. I don't... Like, the, I can understand the goal of including, like, super rare crit chances on enemy units, which is 
things, even if you have something almost perfectly planned, something can always go wrong and you have to adapt to it. But the problem is that Fire Emblem crits and the amount of damage that you deal in relation to your health is a small enough gap so that crits almost always mean instant death. So yeah. there's never a planning phase. It's just a you're screwed phase. Mm -hmm. And they understand this problem, which is why enemy units as a rule uh, almost always have no luck at all. Uh, so that the and always have like iron weapons and generic stuff so that they can't crit you a million times because as long as your luck is like higher than I believe half their skill and some other stuff factored together into the calculation mm -hmm. you're almost always guaranteed for it to be zero but it's not literally a guarantee it's just sort of a weird math thing I think that they should just always set it to zero because I've never once in all my dozens and dozens of Fire Emblem game playthroughs felt like an enemy critting me in a circumstance where the crit wasn't like realistically possible where like it wasn't above 10% or something right. ever added to the game at all. Yeah. It, it just, it more than likely it is just going to force a restart. Yes. Or just force you to lose Barter, the lame ex guy who sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty much just a uh, Dorcas clone, isn't he? Yeah, no. He's a, well, yeah, he's in the same class. But... By the second mission that you have him, that's really all that he's characterized as. I'm sure that I mean, eventually I, he becomes his own person. Complete example of how fleshing out games can allow them to become their own people. Based on what you can do, he might get married to a woman that you meet, and you like go through and have all their conversations about their like life stories. You find out his home. You find out like all of his friends. You can have conversations I, I between meant, him and this old priest guy that talks about both of their I sins. Meant, from my understanding of this game, everyone can get married to everybody. Though, so. No, that was the the marriage thing is something they introduced as an awakening that became so popular that it's had, like, retroactive force on the series. You can't, like, you just get married in this game. There are a few <laughs> specific instances where, like, if you get to, like, A support before the end game, these characters get married. But it wasn't, like, a f mechanical feature of the game like it is in Awakening. It's just, like, something yeah. that would be in that text box that you uh, thought wasn't earned. The... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It really isn't in the, in the tutorial. I, again, I th I'm chalking this up to... It created the things that I enjoy. I, I, I think me, I think both of your criticisms of Lynn's story are totally fair, mm. and I don't want to belittle it, those. It really but, hurt the pacing of the game for me. Yeah, but I could never look bad yeah, sadly see, about it. I, I feel like I'd be in a similar boat to you. I, I won't. I don't think I could ever love it as much as you. But like, if I'd played this game as a kid, like this seems like one of those games. Like I would have spent a lot of time with. Mm. I haven't given a whole lot of information about, like, how much of an impact this actually had. Just as, like, tip of the iceberg, this game didn't get me into video game music. It got me into music. Like, the first, like, songs that I ever just listened to was the sound room of this video game. So, instead of, like, having an iPod, what... I did when I was a kid is I just had my Game Boy Advance with the headphones plugged into this it. Is too, this is already too sad. <laughs> and I would just have it, and I, but I couldn't put it in my pocket because it would hit the face buttons and stuff. And you like it's not like the Game Boy Advance had a sleep mode; like it was just there. The so Game I had, Boy Advance SP also didn't have a sleep mode. But you could just close. It the didn't have a now. headphone jack. It, what? It didn't have a headphone jack. Seriously? Yes, right? Isn't that... Yeah. Isn't that That's weird? Well, I mean, it's kind of weird, but I just play with the sound off all the time, so... Yeah. You're a sinner. I guess. I but, think they made a little plug-in thing that went in the back. They did. After you mentioned I, I bought, like, a stupid, like, Game Boy Advance SP accessories kit, like, that was sold at Toys R Us yeah. for probably too much money. For Why are those so popular? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway...
JJ was the lame kid on the playground who had his Game Boy out listening to the music. Well, I didn't do it on the playground. Come on now. Give me some credit. I didn't do it in public circumstances. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is actually the good... The, uh, you, you were continuing with that story. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't put it in your pocket. So yeah. instead... I would just hold it. I had to just hold it externally to me while I just listened to all the tracks on loop and just sort of went through them. Like, one of my earliest, uh, not earliest, but one of my most vivid childhood memories is me just sitting in my dad's truck while he's inside at that, like, golf shop that exists. It's like a golf shop. Holland Run? Yeah, in Holland Run. And I'm just listening to the music from Fire Emblem. And that's... Uh, Like, if you were in a truck, why weren't you just playing Fire Emblem? Because I would have rather listened to the music. Yeah, because if he wanted... Me too. Uh, that was, was that just a joke? Or do you really actually, not understand? Actually, no. I feel like at that point I would have... Like, if I was a passenger in J- a car... JJ is saying that, like... The game would have Like, when you or I would have been like, I want to listen to music. Let me get my CD player. Right. He would instead be like, I'm going to get my Game Boy and turn on the Fire Emblem music and listen to it. Even more than that, even stronger. I would not have even considered, like, doing that came before me owning a CD player. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Is that, like, when listening, when he wanted to listen to music, he turned on his Game Boy. I followed (laughs) that. I was just saying that, like... So he didn't want to play the game then. He just wanted to listen to music. I suppose. (laughs) I feel like if I had a Game Boy Advance and was in a state, I wouldn't... I would rather play a Game Boy Advance than listen to music. But <laughs> maybe that's just me. Yeah. I probably wouldn't want to play the Game Boy Advance if it had a Fire Emblem cartridge in it. It plays it. It's something dumber. Yep. That's, I find that really weird, because I actually think that while very solid and of high quality, that like Fire Emblem has very like not memorable music. That's another thing we're to chuck up with can't possibly relate to by virtue of my birth because like i've played (laughs) two of them now and like i know the song together we ride because everyone knows that song yeah um i know the theme and then there's like the menu song that plays like when you're like picking your units and stuff and then other than that completely forget what any of the music sounded like you need specifically in awakenings case because they were on I mean, Awakening... like, I acknowledge the music's good. I'm oh yeah, of course. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not arguing against that. What I'm saying is that in your case personally, go back and listen to like the progression of the songs that take place in the final level of Awakening, mm-hmm. and I think like you'll be amazed, like straight up amazed at the kind of stuff that they included in that game. I'm that confident about it. at least in this one song in this Awakening's case. Okay, so that would just be one more song added to the I remember it now. <laughs> uh, look, all I'm saying is that no, I mean, like, yeah, like I acknowledge that this that it is technically good and would have like added a dynamic track and it would be like impressive and cool, but like I still probably won't remember what it sounds like after I hear it. Okay, I'm also the same way with most video game music. I it's, know it's very like, but you're rare. Chad, so hey. <laughs> Hey, Chad. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I just... The only note that I had about the music was that... Uh, I, like, it, it did a good job of, like, setting tones, like, yeah. as music does. And especially, like, using a Game Boy Advance's very limited sound capabilities. Uh, you end up, like... I feel like everything was incredibly appropriate and managed to keep things 
grounded in like what they were supposed to be. So even when I'm cackling about stabbing a guy directly in the eye, the music that is playing is, you know, it is appropriate metal music. Probably. But, uh, and then, you know, they, they had more triumphant numbers and all that shit. Yeah. More impressive to me was actually their, like, use of sound design to actually give the weapons, like, a weight to them. Like, they actually feel weighty. Um, and so, like, hitting yeah, a dude... Yeah, the animations and the sound effects are real good about yeah. that. When you put it together, like, a guy stabbing another dude in the eye feels satisfying. <laughs> yeah. And like, getting, like, an axe to your skull feels as... Pe- like, be- because you know about the permadeath and the fact that, like, it has this huge, like, axe <laughs> fucking rending steel in half sound effect. <laughs> yeah, like, rapiers feel like rapiers, arrows feel like arrows, axes feel like axes. Andy, do you have any thoughts? Uh, I don't think I have anything to add. I think we... Beyond what we already talked about. I feel like... If JJ, when he listens back to this after editing is done, is going to be like, there are so many things that we just didn't even begin to touch on. I, again, that's that falls under the purview of the. I only suggested this game on the cast in the first place, under the understanding that I wouldn't do that. Like I'd gotten over that phase before I even asked you guys to play it. I, I will have the connection forever. I will always have things and more that I can talk about. Yeah. But I'm not going to because it's a podcast. Fair enough. Right, yeah. We could do a whole... You could, along with at least one other person as fanatical as you, do a podcast entirely about Fire Emblem. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think my like the only way that I could sum this up in relation to the podcast is I said that Catherine is a game that I wanted to play but couldn't, and Fire Emblem, unfortunately, is a game that I don't want to play but can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess my summary would be I thought that the tutorial hurt the pacing a little too much, and then once you get past it, it's good, but not as good as Awakening. <laughs> Fair, and I think yours will be the interpretation that's mostly in line with people who chose to buy the game and not people who were forced to play it by their bitter friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to finish it. Like, I liked the game. Mm. So. You do that. Yeah. It's a, it's a game I appreciate. I'm glad that it exists. It makes the people who like Fire Emblem a lot happier than most of the games that I like make me. Because it's just the people who engage with this are getting a lot out of it, and the people who engage with like blowing up people's heads really don't get like I don't like get that much out of like shooting a guy in the face. But the games that I like are more plentiful, so I get more of it. Thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, uh, being the first episode in the grand old month of October, uh, we're going to kick it off with two games, or two demos, rather. Uh, we're going to be talking about Resident Evil 7, what is it called, Beginning Hour? Something like that. Yeah. The uh, currently PlayStation 4 exclusive uh, demo for the upcoming Resident Evil game, which they've stated is not part of the actual game itself. Yep. That's actually recently been updated, so if you played it before, play it again. There's more stuff in it now. Uh, We will be doing the same and talking about it. And then we're also talking, because 
anyone who is aware of, of Resident Evil 7's demo saw this coming already, but we're talking about P.T., the Silent Hills that never came. Yeah, so if you haven't played it already, you probably won't be able to. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say because of the level of interaction in that game, if you just watch like a YouTube video, you'll get a little bit of the effect of it. Just do it in a dark room. Do your best is what we're saying. Yeah. Just try. Up yeah. on a big screen. Yeah, yeah and with, if you can, play it in the dark with headphones. Right. Yeah. Or at least in the dark with popcorn. Yes. So you get butter all over your control. If you want to get a hold of us, <laughs> uh, you can send us an email at noclippodcast at gmail.com. Uh, our website is noclippodcast.com. On YouTube, just noclip. On Twitter, at noclippodcast. And leave a rating, review on iTunes. Tell your friends. Share uh, the love. Yeah, something like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the outro of this podcast as the fortune teller character from Fire Emblem. Just be like, mm, my old bones are thanking you for playing. It's gonna rain soon. <laughs> She's so shitty and old.